Hello and welcome to another episode of Blankets and Boundaries, being present with our children. I'm your guide, Duke Novak, and today we are going to be talking about the practice of mindfulness as taught by the Vietnamese Zen Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. So sit back, enjoy, find a comfortable position, maybe let your thoughts come and go, and really try to pay attention to this episode about mindfulness. Let's get started. Nan In, a Japanese master during the Mihi era, received a university professor who came to inquire about Zen. Nan In served tea. He poured his visitor's cup full and then kept on pouring. The professor watched the overflow until he no longer could restrain himself. It is, it is overfilled. Overfilled. No more will go in. Like this cup, Nanin said, you are full of your own opinions and speculations. How can I show you Zen unless you first empty your cup? Thich Nhat Hanh is a Vietnamese Zen Buddhist monk who really popularized this uh, word mindfulness and, and the practice of mindfulness here in America. And what we've done with this sacred practice um, is we've turned it into a $2 billion industry here in the United States, which is actually remarkable for a practice that really requires nothing. So, if you find yourself spending a lot of money <laughs> on mindfulness, uh, you might want to question um, why that is. I, I learned the practice um, from my teacher, Dr. Jeffrey Hutter, and he really learned a lot from the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh, which I have too. I've read a lot of his books. And, and the practice itself is so simple. Um, but very, very difficult to do. And I've been practicing for probably over 15 years. And the the benefits are are vast. That's what I can say. I, I mean, but until you sit and try it yourself, then you'll realize the benefits for yourself. I, I could sit here and tell you all of them, but it'd really be uh, fruitless because... You have to, you have to do it. Um, you can't just, <laughs> you can't just, you know, say the word mindfulness and all of a sudden, you know, be there. It's not a magic pill. It's not a panacea by any means. And, and basically the, the, you know, the most simple definition of mindfulness is paying attention to what's happening maybe inside of yourself, what's happening outside without any judgment. Um, letting things be as they are um, and really, you know, honing that, that mindfulness muscle in order to be more present in your life, in order to be present with those that you love, in order to be present with whatever you may be doing. Um, this is the idea of mindfulness. And you have to practice it. Like I said, it's like a muscle, just like we work out in the gym, you know, and 
if you stop practicing, you kind of lose a little bit, you get out of shape. So you got to continually practice, even if it's, you know, three minutes a day, that's better than, than not practicing at all. And as you continually practice, you know, the strength grows and your ability to stay present, to stay in the moment grows as well. And that can help with stress, anxiety, parenting, being a social worker, all these types of things. Um, so it's, it's powerful. It's simple. It's hard to do. Uh, and it really is a practice that I see a lot of children wanting. Thich Nhat Hanh says this, you cannot transmit wisdom and insight to another person. The seed is already there. A good teacher touches the seed, allowing it to wake up, to sprout, and to grow. So when I teach mindfulness to kids, teenagers, I think it's important that I practice myself. Um, and model mindfulness to to the children. I think that's you know the, the best way to start. Um, you know, there's so many curriculums out there, so many things you can you can get trained, certified, blah 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 blah. But really, if you don't have your own practice and you can't model um, that presence, that mindfulness can you know, help with, then, then it's hard to teach it. Um, so if you're looking to use this with kids, teens or whatever, I, I advise that you start practicing yourself, um, and to develop a practice and then, you know, you can, you can teach it to others. There's, it reminds me of a story I once heard by Gandhi's son and there was a a woman in the village who needed help with her son so she went to to Gandhi and asked for some support some some guidance and the issue was her son was gaining a lot of weight um she would put a a bowl of chocolates on the like the coffee table in the front room and every time the young boy would pass by this bowl of chocolates, he'd, he'd eat them. You know, he'd pop two or three in his mouth. And then the bowl would be empty and she'd fill up the bowl and he'd, he'd do the same thing. And she says to Gandhi, like, how can I get him to stop eating these chocolates? The, the, my boy is going to become, you know, a big balloon if, if he cannot stop this habit. So Gandhi looks at her and says, okay, I, you know, I think I can help you out here, but you got to give me a week. Give me one week and then I'll come back to you and I'll give you some guidance. And she says, okay, I'll, I'll give you one week. So what Gandhi does is he puts a bowl of chocolates in his front room on his coffee table and walks back and forth for a week past this bowl of chocolates. And then he, he goes to the mom at the end of the week and says, okay, I think 
I'm ready to talk to your son. And she says, oh, great, wonderful. Okay, um, here he is, um, if you'd like to speak to him. And, and Gandhi looks to the boy and says, you know what, you can do this. Um, I've had a bowl of chocolates in my front room for a week, and I was able to not eat a single chocolate the whole week. So if I can do it, I know you can too. And the boy stopped eating the chocolates. Because he, he was shown that, or, or Gandhi's point was, you cannot teach children anything that you cannot do yourself. I see this a lot in education. When we impose these boundaries on kids that the adults cannot even follow. Uh, Cell phones is a, is a big one and a big challenge for our young people. But the adults can't manage their own cell phone usage. So how can you ask a kid to you know manage their cell phone use when we cannot manage our own? And this story always reminds me of that. You cannot teach a kid or put a boundary on a kid that you cannot follow yourself. And that you need to be able to model whatever it is you're teaching. You can't just read from a curriculum and expect kids to just pick it up if you can't actually enact that curriculum. It reminds me of another another poem. I I actually was going to call this podcast Sowing Seeds, but there were there were a couple of those out there already. Um, but this is a, uh, a Buddhist inspired poem by Rebecca Ianis, um, and it goes like this: Your words sow seeds in your children's hearts. From those seeds spring up either confidence or uncertainty, dignity or dishonor, worth or worthlessness. Your words create the beginning of their life stories and they will carry this story with them always. So this poem's kind of about the, the power of our words when we, when we speak to our kids. Um, so, so, so these two things, Modeling, using right speech with our kids, and showing our kids that mindfulness matters. So when I was speaking about uh, modeling mindfulness, you can do this in the home too. I have a a corner in my uh, bedroom that's you know, it's got a little cushion, little altar table, um, couple couple paintings, you know, but it's dedicated to to mindfulness in my meditation practice. And just having this corner in my bedroom, you know, my young daughter walks by it, she'll see me meditating. She knows that it's just a part of our family culture, that this is a practice that that I do. 
and that maybe someday she'll pick up as well. She'll come and sit by me once in a while and and we'll sit together or she'll ask to do a meditation or she'll try to lead a meditation, which is also uh, great times. So again, that modeling, uh, you can set that up in your house and then it, it just kind of permeates the culture of the family. Thich Nhat Hanh was asked a question from a child and they were wondering, I worry so much that it's hard for me to do whatever I need to do. How can I stop worrying? And Thich Nhat Hanh's response was, the, the practice is to learn to take care of the present moment and try not to allow yourself to be lost in the past or the future. And taking good care of the present moment um, we may be able to change the negative things in the past and prepare for a good future. Uh, we tend to worry about what will happen in the future, but this practice helps us to come home to the present moment, to our body, our feelings, to the environment around us. And when we breathe in and breathe out mindfully, our mind is brought back to our body. And we are truly there in order to take care of the present moment. And there's usually some stress, some tension in our body. But if we practice mindful breathing, we can release the tension. And that can bring us relief. And if there's a painful feeling in us, we use mindfulness to embrace our feeling so that we can get relief. But the key point, he says, is that you are fully there in the present moment, in the here and the now, to take care of yourself and what's happening around you. And you try not to think too much about the future or project too much about how it might be. And you're not trapped too much in the past. And you have to train yourself to learn how to go home to the present moment, to the here and the now. And to take care of that moment, to take care of your body and your feelings in this moment. And that that is the most effective way to deal with anxiety or worries. And as you learn how to handle the present moment, you'll gain faith and trust in your ability to handle the situation. You'll learn how to take care of your feelings and what's happening around you. And that will make you confident. And as your confidence grows, you're no longer the victim of your worries. I'm going to lead you now in a, just a basic mindfulness meditation. Uh, and while you're practicing I'm going to read a story by Tommy DePaula. And the title of that story is Quiet. So I'll get you started with just some basic breathing, mindfulness breathing meditation. And then I'll begin to read the story and you just continue to practice as I read. So I like to begin by just finding a comfortable position. Most people think of meditation as people sitting cross-legged on top of a mountain. Um, but the reason why we sit in that position is so we don't fall asleep, basically. So even if you want to sit in a chair, um, sit on the couch, whatever, just find a comfortable position and try to make sure your feet are on the ground. You can feel the feet 
firmly on the ground and the ground supporting your feet. And try to sit straight up because you, you don't want to fall asleep for this practice. And then you just, you know, place your hands on your knees or in your lap. You can close your eyes if you like, or you can keep them open, which is perfectly fine. Uh, some people, if they close their eyes, they might get triggered and and start feeling very uneasy. So it's okay to open the eyes, but if you open your eyes, just kind of stare down with a very soft focus. And that that is fine as well. So the basic practice is we, f- we find an anchor and oftentimes it's the breath that people use. Now the breath, normally the, the point of concentration and focus is the, right below the nostrils as the breath kind of comes in and out. But recently I've been practicing with the breath going, you know, to the diaphragm and I find that uh, very connecting for me. Um, so you're going to find one of those spots uh, where the breath enters and and goes goes out. And you're just going to place your focus there. So at this time, you're in a comfortable position. Your eyes are either opened or closed. I want you to place your awareness on your breath. Either where it enters the nose or down in the belly or even the lungs. Just find one of those spots where you can really just place your awareness on that breathing. And you're just going to watch the breath without judgment, but with curiosity. And you're going to try to maintain that awareness of breathing. Now, if this is your first time or even your thousandth time, your mind's going to wander, okay? It's going to go off into the future. It's going to go off into the past. It's going to start judging all these types of things. The point here is to kind of notice when the mind has gone off on some thought stream and just say, oh, <laughs> there I am. I, I got that. And, and bring your awareness back to the breath. And you might have to do that a million times. <laughs> but that's the practice. It's that practice, it's that training of bringing, noticing when the awareness is gone and you're off on some thought stream and bringing it back to the breath, to the anchor, to the body. And that's it. And that may sound mundane, but it's hard. It's very hard. My, my wife tries to practice. It's, it's very difficult for her because the mind is bouncing around. A lot of the teenagers I work with can't sleep. Their sleep habits are just all over the place. And I, I try to teach them this in order to calm the mind and calm the body. But their minds are so busy right before they're about to go to bed and they can't, they can't quiet it down. So I want you to start now and just place your awareness on your breathing. The mind wanders, just bring it back. 
And I'm going to read this story called Quiet. My, oh my, the grandfather said. Everything is in such a hurry. The birds are flying so fast. And our dog is rushing after the ball, said the girl. I see a frog jumping high into the pond, said the boy. And a dragonfly zooming over the water. Even the trees are waving their leaves. Busy as busy can be. Let's not be so busy. Why don't we sit here? You next to me. The birds are just like us, taking a rest, singing their song. Our dog is tired. I think he's dreaming. The frog is, is sitting and blinking. The dragonfly has stopped beating its wings. Let us be quiet, like all our friends, quiet and still. I can think when I'm quiet. I can see when I'm still. To be quiet and still is a special thing. Now, if your eyes are closed, you can blink them slowly and bring yourself back into the room. If your eyes are open, start to look around and bring yourself back. Okay, so an educator asked me this question, but I think it pertains to parents as well. And the educator asked me, every time we go to a different subject or to a different um, activity, I, I lose them all. I lose all my kids. Their, their attention is gone. So this, this question is really about transitioning with kids from one activity to the next. Or in the high school, from one class maybe to the next class. And what I have found, um, even with my daughter, is that you need to like prep a transition. You can't just have kids, you know, you just can't demand that they jump from one thing to the next. You have to give them some time to complete whatever it is they're doing in order to, you know, smoothly transition to the next thing. So, for instance, in a high school, you know, there's five minutes left in the class. Might want to mention there's five minutes left. We're winding down. Why don't you gather your things or finish what you're doing and then gather your things. And then another teacher that I work with in the high school, he actually does a mindfulness minute at the beginning of each class. So that allows the students, after they've traveled from one class to the next, and they're in his class, he spends one minute for them to fully transition into his class. And then just take a little mindful moment. This is very, 
important. Transitions can throw people. Um, my wife sometimes has difficulty with this. She'll just demand that my daughter stop what she's doing right away and start doing something else. What could help is again, a little bit of like, even if five minutes, just like, Hey, we're, we're going to wind down this activity. So finish what you're doing. Then we're going to move on to something else. Could be helpful. My daughter always, when she gets a demand like this and is asked to transition quickly, she gets very upset, very frustrated, and then it becomes kind of a, a shouting match back and forth, and everyone's upset, and <laughs> you know, we don't we don't get anywhere. So really emphasizing transitions with kids, taking your time, and then even before you're about to do the next activity, maybe taking a moment like the teacher that I work with does do a little mindful minute so they can, you know, recenter themselves and be ready to be engaged in the activity. I also teach, you know, um, even walking through the hallway can be a meditation at the high school. You know, oftentimes it's kind of like when we're driving and we drive from point A to point B, or in this case, the student walks from point A to point B. We get to point B and we're like, how did we end up here? <laughs> like it was a complete trip that we were mindless for. And our body was just kind of on autopilot. And then we're, we're just there. Oh, man, how did that happen? So you can practice mindfulness formally, like we talked about, where you sit on a cushion or you, you sit for a, a period of time. But you can also practice mindfulness throughout your day. You know, the, the bell that rings could be a moment of mindfulness where if you hear the bell, you stop and take some mindful breaths. Or when you walk from class to class, you do walking meditation. Um, when the phone rings, you get a notification. Instead of just jumping to your phone and, and checking it, you could take a couple mindful breaths before checking that. That would be very difficult because I know when I work with some of these kids, they're getting notifications all the time, constantly. Um, brushing your teeth can be a practice. Eating food can be a practice. How many times do we eat a sandwich or eat um, whatever it may be, fast food, and we don't even taste what we're eating? We just kind of shovel it in and it's it's gone. Mindful eating meditation is where you, you, I, I do this, I, I used to do it with raisins, but a lot of people didn't like raisins. So I've used it with uh, gummy bears and you look at the gummy bear, you smell the gummy bear, you listen to the gummy bear, you feel the gummy bear between your fingers and you finally place the gummy bear in your mouth and you chew it slowly. And, and that's, that's the mindful eating practice. And I've had kids say, man, I never knew gummy bears tasted so good. And I've also had students say, man, I've never, <laughs> I've never uh, known that gummy bears don't taste very good at all. <laughs> so I've had both, but I encourage the kids when they're eating their lunch to at least take a couple 
uh, mindful bites before they just, you know, shovel the rest in their mouth. So mindfulness is a wonderful practice. It can be very beneficial um, to our lives. Uh, it can slow us down, bring us back into the present moment, make us aware of whatever it is we're doing. And it really brings an enjoyment to our lives. Um, I've had people say, why would I practice mindfulness? I, I, I like being this jazzed up and I'm going to lose all my energy and I'm going to... No, it doesn't work that way. It actually brings more richness to your life, more joy to your life. And even those those feelings of anger and sadness you really feel you start to really feel these things these feelings and, and you realize that they they pass and, and you move on with your life so thank you for joining me today for the episode on mindfulness and I will uh, see you next time take care everyone